Welcome to the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You are joined by thousands of photographers listening to this show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm your host, Brent Bergkirm, and joining me at this roundtable episode is Greg Benz. Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, Brent. Thanks for having me on. You betcha. We've got a few topics to talk about today, as per normal. I have two announcements, so we'll start with one of my announcements, then we'll go and talk about exposure blending with Greg, and then we will get back to my second announcement, and then we'll wrap up the show with a few other things. So, my first announcement is I have decided to take the plunge and create two courses this summer that should be available online later in the year. The more advanced course that I'll be looking at will be on creativity and printing. So basically printing with your inkjet printer and the like, and that should be done by late August. And my other course will be targeted more towards the beginners and intermediate photographers, and that will likely be available closer to October or November. So Greg, quick question on printing. Are you much of a printer yourself? Do you, have, do, you do your own printing or do you outsource it? Uh, I've done my own printing in the past and I moved away from that several years ago. So I outsource it to professional labs, a few sure. different labs that I'll use. Uh, I do all my printing as canvas. Okay. So I've really kind of sub-specialized it, it sort of, it matches the style of art that I do. So I'm not doing a, a wide range of things. I used to do a lot of metallic prints and some things right. like that, but, but really just doing the canvas now, it's been interesting. When, when I was doing my own printing, it certainly raises a lot of questions as you like profile your own printer and everything else. Right. But then you get that immediate feedback versus using a vendor where everything becomes a little bit more of a, a challenge. But I think the the workflow between the two is not that different. There's just a few extra steps when you do it at home, but the, the printing, I love it. I, I do, I do quite a bit. So I, I, you know, I sell my own art and I'm printing Good. it. It, it definitely makes you a better photographer. Like even if, even if you're not the kind of photographer who prints that often, I always encourage people to do a little bit of it because absolutely, if, if you never take that final step, you don't realize the difference between what you look at on your monitor and what's going to come out of the final printed subject. And it, it will change your photography for the better to have that part of the feedback loop. Yes, I completely agree. And the canvas, I agree with too. I'm one who, since I teach this stuff at the school, I just love printing my own items. I have certainly used some labs as well, and that's exceedingly convenient to use a lab to do it. But there's just something I'd, I'd love the, the tactile quality when you're dealing with your own photos, you're dealing with very specialized papers. Uh, so we'll get into that in that course, and I'll certainly be covering canvas printing. And what I like to do as well is take uh, the clear overlay and paint it on, and you can get it, uh, it's some photos it works really well, I should say, but you can get that painted texture so it it does tend to look more like a painting i certainly understand what you're saying with printing with uh with a lab having the the you know i guess you could say the professionals do it but even if you if listeners just have their own you know letter size photo printer that they can go on that you know that still gets you at least part of the story as, as it were you can still you know look at things you can still put special paper in there as long as you have something you know that's an actual inkjet printer uh, and probably one that even uses more than four colors because we want to expand that color gamut and all that good stuff. So we'll be we'll be looking at doing that, uh, releasing that hopefully by late August. And uh, I'll have another announcement as that comes available. Well, that's really cool. You know, I think I'm sure you're going to get into things like color spaces and all the, the regular challenges of printing. But I love that you're going into the papers. That's something that 
is rarely ever discussed. And unless you're willing to just blow a lot of money at home or you happen yeah. to know someone who does this stuff, it's, it's hard to explore that. So uh, that's great. That's exciting. Oh, yeah. That's one of the things I think, you know, I guess it gets into some of our subtopics down the line where we're going to look at philosophies of teaching and whatever. But um, to me, and I think this is true for for many people in, in maybe a more subconscious level, but the choice of your paper is really important for how it how your photo reacts on it. There's so many different types of paper out there, and that can be such a daunting question as to what is the best substrate. You mentioned the metal prints, the canvas prints. Uh, you know, there's even uh, acrylic uh, face mount prints, and I've even tried that myself because uh, I've got a lamination machine and all sorts of stuff. That is hard to do. <laughs> I don't think I'll include that in the course, but uh, but my goodness, it looks beautiful uh, with that really extra pure, rich color and the shine that happens with an acrylic face mount print. Uh, so there's there's just lots of things we can look at. But yeah, paper choices definitely can be one of them. And uh, so we'll just, you know, again, more announcements will come out. But it's just something I'm excited to announce to say this is in development. And it's something I'm really going to be working hard on this summer. And one of those things that I'm going to be doing this summer, too, is I'm going to Hong Kong. And not only do I want to just shoot there, but I actually want to take my beginner course to Hong Kong and shoot my beginner course in Hong Kong. I'm really excited about that, of course, because I just listeners certainly know I just love to travel. It's it's kind of like a what I do kind of a thing. But if you want to know all the details about that as it relates to the journey, I'll talk about it on my Latitude podcast uh, in the near future. So head on over to that channel and listen to that if you're interested in those kind of details. I got a great deal on the flight and I'm probably going to might be able to uh, team up with a videographer as well. And that'll just really increase the quality of the of the video. So uh, of the training videos. So hopefully that's going to that part's going to work out. But definitely we're still working out some details there. But Hong Kong, that's for sure. That's booked. I'm going and I'm really excited. Any chance you've been to Hong Kong, Greg? I have a couple of times. Okay. I love it. It's yeah. to me, it's like New York meets London meets China. It, it's just, oh, yeah. there's nothing like it anywhere else. And it has so much just a phrenic, great energy. I love Hong Kong. Oh yeah. It's it, I'm planning on spending a week on Lantau Island to begin with. And that's where things are. You got the small traditional towns. Uh, you've got some hiking paths. You've got the monasteries with one of which has the huge Buddha on the top of the hill. So just lots of great things. And then the second week I'll be spending on Hong Kong Island and the Kelan Peninsula. So uh, looking forward to looking forward to all that. I just it's hard to uh, it, that's my happy place. <laughs> all right. So topic number two, uh, Greg, I want to hand it over to you because you're basically the expert in this kind of stuff. And I've done exposure blending, too. And I guess what I say, I've done it, too. I'm more of the traditionally, I should say, I'm more of the uh, take it in Photoshop and just, you know, blend manually these kinds of things. But certainly you're the publisher of the Lomenzia plugin. Uh, but first off, let's start in the very beginning. What is exposure blending? So there's. I think there's the, the sort of the common expectation of what it is for those who, who do it. And then I think there's a broader sense of what I think it is. Sure. Um, so the general idea, most people, when they talk about exposure blending, what they mean is taking multiple different exposures, multiple different raw images so that you can get beyond the dynamic range, the limitations of your camera. So you have like a dark shot and a normal shot, a bright shot yeah. or something like that, and then combine them together, which is the essence of how HDR works. 
But the idea with manual exposure blending is that you're in full control. And so you can blend it the way you want. And it generally avoids a lot of the shortcomings of HDR in terms of like noise and halos and things like that once you master the process. So it's yeah. the downside is there's a learning curve. The upside is enormous because you can kind of do anything you want. And so th that's the starting point, though, is blending those different exposures. But exposure blending to me is super broad because it can be blending any different sources. Uh, for example, sometimes I just take one raw image and I process it four or five different ways in Lightroom and then I blend it with itself. So it's not okay. even a, a different original file, but you think about like in Lightroom, you have all these different tools, but they don't have like granular controls. Like I can't grab white balance and necessarily just add it to this one piece of the photo. You have some local control, but you really don't have the kind of control you'd want. Mm -hmm. So if you take those different images and export them to Photoshop, you now have the ultimate control to blend all the different pieces together, you know, exactly the way you want. Or, uh, for example, an image I was working on yesterday, I had this uh, sunset where I'm perched over some rocks looking out over a lake. And I needed to blend multiple exposures because the sky was really bright compared to the trees that were very dark in the foreground. But in addition to blending because of just the, the shadow and highlight range of the scene, I also blended another exposure that had the sun that was bursting right as it hit the, the edge of the mountain where it makes that beautiful starburst. Sure. And I had an exposure where the light was raking across the foreground rocks and I blended it with another exposure where there was no light on the rocks. So I could put the exact amount of sunshine I wanted on the parts of the rocks that I wanted. And then I had another exposure that was focused on the close rocks that were maybe like six inches from the camera and another exposure that was focused maybe a foot away. And then another exposure was focused on the trees and the sky and everything in the distance. So I was, which is generally known as focus stacking. Where yeah. You're so picking. you're, you're getting a really complicated thing here where you're not only <laughs> blending the intensity, if you will, of your exposures, how bright or dark they are, but you're also going to focus on focus stacking. Is that yeah, what you're doing? So and, yeah. And, and so my, and my point is not to say like, you know, you should go out and do like 30 different things when you blend images or it has to be really hard. My point is more to say that when, when you talk about exposure blending, to me, it's this generalized idea of grabbing the best of whatever it is you want and putting it together. So maybe okay. you grab like the best sun and the best rocks and the sharpest foreground and the sharpest background. And you, you can mix and match all these different elements instead of taking just one exposure or one Lightroom developed version of an exposure, you can now create all these different variations and and mix them together uh and so it just it just lets you have complete creative control and you can do things that are not possible with a single frame or other techniques by by doing that so it's it's a really cool thing it's kind of like this endless journey and there's so many other crazy things you can do with with blending but the the, the number one thing that i think people do is usually is trying to deal with the fact that they've like a white colorless sky and they want to bring back in the sunset colors or right. The shadows are dark and noisy and no detail and you want to restore that detail. That's that's usually where things start. But once you master that, there's just so many other ways sure. you can take it. Yeah. And for a simple thing in Photoshop, like you say, with the bright areas in the sky, colorless, what I've done in the past is just let that be in the image. But in, when I come into Photoshop, I'll sample a very bright but uh, still color of some sort, you know, it's usually an orange or a yellow type hue. And then I'll just take a huge blob soft brush and just paint it right over there in that area where all that whiteness is, where it's just 
pure white. There's not going to be any ink when I print. And then I'll use a layer blend mode to actually uh, of darken to just say, okay, you know, where this blob that I just painted is darker, that's what's going to show where it's not as dark as the underneath layer, then that will show and it blends in beautifully. And that works, I think, if you just have a small section of it. But what you're talking about is where like maybe the whole sky is just gross and just blown out. Would that be a correct characterization? Uh, it, it could be it could be any of those extremes. It could okay. be that more simple example you're talking about. And it could be, you know, dramatic surgery on the image like I was describing a moment yeah. ago with that, you know, all those different sources, um, you know, and, and sometimes it's both. So you're, okay. you're painting some color into the sky with a blend mode. And I, I will do that too. Sometimes I want to add a little bit of color, but sure. rather than just painting it across the whole cloud, I could use a, a luminosity mask and target it to just the brightest edge of the cloud. So there's like a, that little bit of extra brightness in the cloud that indicates where the sun was hitting it. But now I want to take that part of the cloud and add the color right there the way it naturally would occur. Yeah. So even if you're doing it in small ways, the precision you can get with using luminosity masks to do the exposure blending, it really opens up a lot more potential. And the nice thing is you're, when I say luminosity mask, I'm talking about um, making targeted adjustments to the image based on the image itself. So um, for those who aren't familiar, like I can grab the bright edge of the cloud and work on just that little piece. And so the beauty of that is because you're using the image to adjust the image, the results look much more natural because if I hand paint it, yeah. I can't always control the exact amount of paint in the right place. Even if I'm being super careful, what you get with a luminosity mask is just generally going to be more precise. And even if the end result looks the same, you can get there much faster. Sure. Yeah. And that's where the, the benefit of it, of it, when it's a across the whole image or even half the image, it, totally it just keeps that natural look whereas if you do the technique that i did when it's a, a large portion probably not going to look all that natural or if it still has a natural feel something is going to feel plasticky about it it you know i think my technique works fine for smaller sections where people aren't going to maybe pick that out so much but how do we how do we address that simply in photoshop is there is there a simple way to address it in photoshop and is it something that we can even look at in lightroom this this idea of exposure blending i don't think lightroom really uh, supports it does it well the the analogous opportunity in in lightroom would be using the hdr functionality of lightroom sure. so yeah. that would blend multiple exposures you wouldn't have nearly the control right. but certainly you could address the dynamic range of your camera um, but it has immediate limitations. For example, you can't say, well, give me like the warmer sunset and the cooler foreground, right? Sure. And have like a white belt different, or, or you can't say, Hey, I want to take this shot of the cityscape when the sun was setting and then blend it with the city lights that came on 30 minutes later, you know? So it, there's all these limitations, but you, you can do some things in Lightroom, but generally speaking, you're going to need to go into a more advanced piece of software like Photoshop that supports layers and layer masking and if you want to do it with luminosity masks you'll need to be able to support some sort of luminosity selection so photoshop will do this gimp will do this i don't know if, if other programs might do it but photoshop is head and shoulders above anything else that i've ever encountered in terms of the, the overall capabilities and that's oh, that's yeah. where i would do it but you can you don't necessarily have to do it with uh, you know luminosity masks at all or a specialized luminosity masking tool like lumenzia the software panel that i've created you can, you know, freehand paint. What happens though is, 
um, that'll work on a simple image. If I had like a sun setting over the ocean, it's pretty easy to just gently paint on that or use like a gradient on the mask or something that gives you a subtle transition. Mm-hmm. Once you start to get to a more advanced situation, like the sun setting behind a mountain and there's a bunch of treetops. And so the transition from shadow to highlight is very precise. That sort of situation, I don't think it's realistic to hand paint. You certainly could try it. I don't think you'd get the same results. And, and if you did, it would really be a lot of work. Sure. And I guess that kind of brings me into the idea, you know, what about those of us that shoot with a split neutral density filter versus doing exposure blend, you know, using a split neutral density, that's where part of the filter itself is dark and it transitions to a clear area where it's not going to be affecting the, that part of the image. And then you can hold it up to your lens or use a holder to put it on your lens. You can rotate it. You can position that where you want it to be that transitional area from dark to clear. What what about shooting with one of those versus doing a this type of exposure blending that we're talking about? Well, I, I think they both have their place. Okay. Um, I, I don't generally use a split neutral density filter. I'd say almost 0% of the time. Uh, I almost never use it. But uh, there is a place where I would recommend it, and that is there are some scenes that you have to get one exposure. Let's say, for example, I'm at the beach, and I'm shooting waves crashing on a rock with a sunset. Well, I can't bracket my exposures. Um, yeah, you have to get one exposure that has that. If you get creative, you might be able to get like one exposure for the wave and another exposure for the sun and, and piece it together. But there are going to be times where the only thing you can do is shoot one single exposure and a split neutral density filter can give you more capability to get that in one exposure where it dulls down the sun a little bit so that you can expose a little bit brighter and the foreground rocks, whatever, have enough detail. So it can give you a better raw file, but in terms of its ability to transform the scene into what you want, I think it's very limited, you know, so a split ND filter only comes in, you know, a few variations of a linear gradient. So it Mm -hmm. goes from dark to light. But if I, you know, so the perfect place for that would be, I'm shooting a sunset over a very boring water. There's, there's no rocks. There's no, there's no Island. Nothing's jutting into the sky. Yeah, that's. And, I was gonna kind of say it, your water example is pretty perfect because your horizon, your horizon is basically going to be flat, right? And maybe if you're shooting, you know, in Kansas, also, uh, <laughs> sorry, Kansas, you know, those from you from Kansas, but let's face it, it's flat. Uh, that's gonna also be a perfect uh, time for it. Uh, I've used split neutrals uh, back in my film days, and I just basically shrugged my shoulders and accepted the fact that that tip of the mountain or whatever the case was, it was going into shadow is really going to be dark. And with exposure blending, I don't have to accept that. I can have, you know, those dark areas, no matter what the contour is, I can have those exposed one way in the sky. Again, no matter what the contour of it is exposed another way. Yeah. And even if I shot with a split ND filter, I would 100% for certain would be using luminosity master blending after the fact to process that raw image. So I would just use it to get a better starting point. Sure. But then when I process it, I'd still do things like, you know, process one version for the, the cool sky and, you know, process another version for the really interesting, you know, foreground rocks or, or whatever I'm doing. So, and then blend those together so it's not really an either or to me, it's, you know, some form of blending is going to occur in nearly all my images um, because that's just the best way to get the quality out of even a single raw file, which is half the work I do is not multiple files. Half the time I'm blending from one file. Hmm. 
Um, so that, that gets lost a lot. When people think about exposure blending, they think you're literally taking multiple exposures, but a lot of times a single raw file is the way to go because things are moving in the image and waves are moving, clouds right. are moving, people are moving, whatever. So, um, it's not one or the other. So, you know, if that, if that split ND filter did somehow let you get a better single raw to deal with moving parts of the image, that's great. It'd be a really nice tool to have. I don't personally use that too often just because, you know, I'm shooting with the Nikon D850 and, and cameras like that. And there are very few scenes where you need that, which most people don't realize how much you can get out of a, a raw file, but you have to process it in a certain way. And exposure blending will let you pull out that extra detail. So to me, exposure blending is like getting a couple extra stops of usable detail in your image because you just extract so much more from it. And once you master that process, a lot of times you, you really don't need to shoot multiple exposures. It's not that common that I'm blending multiple exposures because of dynamic range. Yeah. And I think, you know, you went back, you made a mention to go back to what you said before you made a mention of how Lightroom just doesn't give you that granularity or the, the control where when you do the broad processing in Lightroom, you can then bring it into Photoshop and then you have that control specifically. Is that basically right. the, the right way to, to think about yeah. this basically? Yeah, I, I, the way that, so people ask me like, hey, when are you gonna you know, do luminosity mass for Lightroom or on one or you know, pick your, your favorite brand of software? And I generally have a couple of comments around that. One, I think any photography software could be improved if it had high quality luminosity masks. I mean, I say high quality because there, there are a number of programs out there that have sort of added it as a marketing feature where they have like the very basic, like one version of a luminosity mask, but they don't mm -hmm. really give you the kind of control you need to have an open-ended, luminosity masking toolkit, but luminosity masks would make any software you use better in the sense that it's giving you the ability to make changes more precisely. That, that's all it does. It doesn't, luminosity masks don't do anything other than give you more precision to whatever tool you're using. So it's like adding a stencil. So you can imagine like, I'm a terrible artist in terms of drawing. So, you know, if I lay it on a stencil and I start working with that pencil, I'm gonna have much better sure. control. And, and that's what it's giving you. Um, so I tend to think of, um, in this universe of software tools, because I use a lot of different tools, I tend to think of Photoshop as the hub. That's the place where I can mix and match the different tools or, you know, multi-process a given tool, send it to Photoshop and blend it with itself. So I'll send multiple versions from Lightroom over, but it could be Capture One, it could be Topaz, it could be any number of different software programs. And ultimately, they all kind of lead me to Photoshop where I can then blend everything together with luminosity masks. All right, good. And then kind of going on to a subtopic off of this, you have a course that you just recently developed. Uh, we were talking about the courses earlier, uh, but you have already developed this course and it's available. Tell us some of the details about that course. You, you mentioned, you know, fairly broadly here, but what are some of the items that they're specifically going to be learning in that course? So I, I've had Lumenzia available for years. And, and the biggest question I get from folks has been, you know, how do I blend multiple exposures? And I've had a few videos that have gone with that with Lumenzia, but the, the topic can be so deep as yeah, obviously our conversation I think is alluding to. So I, I decided to build this completely comprehensive course to cover you know, a huge range of exposure blending techniques. So it's you know, how to get more dynamic range by blending exposures. It's how to take a single raw file and extract the detail from it. It's how to pull more color and detail from your images. And it really walks from the very basics. So the assumption is, you have you know some minimal amount of Photoshop knowledge. You can work with layers. Uh, you don't have to know luminosity masks. 
and it walks people through how to you know, do the basic blending, even without luminosity masks. You know, it even starts before luminosity masks to make sure that the blending concepts are simple and then you know, works towards progressively much more advanced examples. So I really try to cover the whole you know, topic in great detail. There's over seven hours of footage right now. I'm sure that I'll add to it over time. So I've, I've got it hosted in a way where I can sort of expand and update the, the course over time because I do want to continue improving it. I don't see it as like I've launched it and it's done and you know, that's the version. It's, yeah. it's kind of a live course, but it's, it's those videos. Uh, it's, you know, written text, text that goes with it that covers additional topics. It's summaries of the videos. It's the raw files to edit with me. It's quizzes and then a, a commenting system. So it's been really active. Last I checked, there were something like 400 comments, half of which would be mine because I'm replying to questions, but it's great because you know, in my, I do uh, training courses all the time. Personally, as a student, I, I'm constantly taking courses and, you know, the ability to interact with the instructor to me is really important. So that's one thing I wanted to offer with this course. So, you know, as folks are working through this course, they can, you know, post comments and questions that I'm able to respond, which is just a great way to interact and make sure that they're really understanding what's going on. Or maybe they want to take what they've learned in a lesson and apply it in a different way. Maybe they're using a totally different genre of photography than what I'm demonstrating. And so they want to learn how to, uh, to expand that. But that's the course in general, it's called the exposure blending master course. And it's, it's really meant to be a comprehensive course on how to, to blend images. I guess that kind of segues into, you know, the course offering or development philosophy that I wanted to discuss a little bit, because that's something I'm going through in my mind. And so you're having interaction with your people as they're going through and they're having questions, but this is, you know, basically only the, uh, a public forum as it were, right? Is, or are you offering something that is personal one-on-one? -on -one? Uh, so it's, it's not public in the sense that people outside the course can, can see. Oh, I mean, sure. I, I mean, I've, I have other forums that are public, but this sure. course, it would be the other, you know, participants in the course could see that. Um, I, I do one-on-ones. It's not something that I've uh, promoted just because of my own time limitations. I, I sure. wouldn't be able to support it. I think at the level that people might want, uh, so I, I do one-on-ones, but I think it's a really important thing. I have had a couple of people in the class reach out to me and say, Hey, can I pay you to do some one-on-ones to follow up with a few different topics and things like that? Um, but I, I, I really haven't mentioned, it. I think it'd be a great thing to do because to me, there's so many different levels, right? There's getting the course material really great. Then there's things like email and comments, you know, that I've got available in my course, which are interactive, but then there's a whole nother level when you can interact one-on-one -on -one, yeah. where now I really see what they're going through. I see their specific image. We can edit it side by side. You know, they can make mistakes. It, you know, I mean, it's a, obviously if I spend an hour on Skype with someone, it's totally different than a, a quick email exchange or a comment. Well, for um, sure. So that's, that's something I'd like to do more of in the future. I'm still kind of getting my business launched and my time has been limited, but I'd like to do more of that in the future. So you're, you're thinking of doing that with your course? I am. And that's something that I have a question for the listeners to say, you know, give me an idea how important that is to you. Uh, I'm not looking at creating a membership site where, you know, there, there's just an ongoing fee and there's an ongoing uh, type of, you know, enhanced communication or whatever you want to call it like that. Uh, I don't know that I could support that. I have a full-time job. You know, I do I have the podcasting. I have four kids, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's just something that though I'm thinking, you know, 
I feel one of my strengths is in that one-on-one and I would want to be able to offer that, but I just don't even know if that's something that the people are looking for. Uh, so the way I see it working is to say, you know, the course by and large is self-driven and you would be able to go through it and you'd be able to learn what you need to learn. But maybe the, and ask questions certainly as you go through, but uh, maybe there's that time where people really want that specific review of what they shot because I'm going to be creating, I guess you could say some assignments for lack of a better description, you know, I'm a university professor, so assignments is what it's all about, so to speak. But, you know, when it's an online course like this, uh, while it's an assignment, it's not, you know, it's not related to your GPA. So it's obviously a little different. But that's just, you know, if you want specific uh, feedback on an assignment, you know, we could get on Skype together and I, I would be able to critique and give you that specific feedback. You'd be able to go reshoot it. We'd be able to critique again and just kind of move through the course like that. And so I'm just wondering, are people even interested in that? And so I would offer two set versions of it, basically one version where it's largely self-guided and another version uh, where we have, you know, a limited number of people at a time coming through this, or maybe the demand isn't that great. I only have one or two at a time going through. I don't know. So it's just something I'm curious about. And I would definitely love some feedback on that to see what people are are interested in. And I could see it definitely working with the printing lessons. Because what I would like to be able to do is have people send me their prints. And then I can give them a specific feedback on the quality of the print that they are producing with their own equipment in their own home. You know, producing with their own hands. So I don't know. I'm just just thoughts that I'm voicing saying, you know, hey, what what do you guys think? Well, I, I think the printing is really cool. Would you have them print an image you provide for consistency or would you say, you know, send me your digital file, mail me your print and, and let's talk about the printed result. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, it would be more along the their images specifically, because mm -hmm. we might start with a with a, a known quantity, which would be one of my images. But the the focus would totally be on their images because I want them to be able to know they're creating good stuff. And certainly there's challenges, even when you calibrate your screen, there's going to be challenges with making sure that color is what you want it to be. And so having that discussion with someone uh, who's been through it and who has done this before basically and can give you some feedback, maybe that's valuable to them. And, and I would, I just want to offer that if that's something that they want. I think that's really cool because to me that hits on like two things that I see it as an instructor a lot. There's sort of the question that you know to ask, like, Hey, the color doesn't match my screen or, you know, there's something about it that, that's bothering you. Yeah. But then there's the question you don't know to ask. There you go. Right? The, the thing <laughs> that you could have done better, but you just, you didn't know. Right. And, and so when you're holding that print in your hand from someone, you'd be able to have that conversation say, Hey, have you thought about this media? I think would really suit this image or, yeah. you know, the place where you're showing me you're going to hang it has a green wall and, and maybe we should think about this different setup or, you know, I think that's yes. a really cool opportunity. Awesome. Well, good. Yeah. And certainly listeners contact me, you know, look me up on the websites uh, that I have, uh, which we'll cover later. Uh, but you can send an email along or whatever the case is. So uh, appreciate that. So our next topic, unless there's anything else to, to cover on that, Greg. Um, no, no, that's All great. Right. <laughs> so our next topic <laughs> is my other big announcement and i might characterize this as even the bigger announcement maybe and that is uh the closure of my lens rental company brent rents lenses it's been a 
four years since I started the company. August will be uh, four years of my first sale. Uh, so um, yeah, I'm closing the business. And in one sense, it really stinks. In another sense, um, it is what it is. And I've basically come to accept the it is what it is idea. Uh, I'll have some details about the gear sales uh, on the website, but as it relates, you know, to what I can tell you now, by the time you uh, listen to this podcast, we should be able to have about half the gear available for sale. Uh, and the other half is still reserved through the month of July. And I'm still going to certainly honor those reservations. But the um, the ability to reserve by the time you listen to this will have been turned off, but you can still purchase. So when you go to the website, if you take a look at a piece of gear, you'll see the buy now button. You would be able to hit that, put it in your cart. And unfortunately, that's when it shows you the price. I'll probably have a different blog post that will talk about the, the prices. So you could just shop the blog post, so to speak, and then run back uh, to the product, dump it in your cart and you'll be able to buy it. So the thoughts that I have on pricing this gear as well is all about um it's all about, you know, trying to do what I can to be fair, but also trying to move it hopefully kind of quickly. Uh, so as I'm going to look at other resources and see what the, the used market is, for instance, I have a 5D Mark IV. Uh, basically, that's hardly available. And I, the one resource I found it at, uh, I think is too, actually, I think is too high. Uh, so I'm going to offer it for about 100 or so less than that other, that one resource I found it at. I'm going to get shutter counts on those cameras too. Uh, so if you're interested in shutter counts, I'll have that information right now. Those cameras are out to Canon and they'll be back early next week. Uh, they're just getting a little bit of a maintenance checkup and all that stuff. I will include shipping in those sale prices. So make sure you click the free shipping. Actually, I'll modify that. So that's the only thing you can click. And then um, I'm shipping to U.S. Ad addresses only. So I apologize to international listeners, but I'm not going to be getting into the, the uh, international stuff uh, with shipping this type of gear. And certainly the gear is in good shape. Uh, the, the camera bodies, like I said, are already at Canon. I can do that with lenses as well. If someone w is ex willing to accept a delay in the lens, I'll be happy to send those Canon branded lenses off for maintenance in cleaning, but you know, the gear is in really good shape. If you were to go on BNH and look at their ratings, uh, these are easily a nine, nine plus, uh, type rating as, as it relates to the quality of the gear. So yeah, that's being closed. And I feel like if I, if I could, uh, get the, um, the rights to the song closing time, you know, that, that song. <laughs> Summersonic. Oh yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's, that's been running in the back of my mind, uh, this last few weeks. And, um, so anyway, I hope you guys are able to take advantage of it and uh, buy some gear and uh, help me liquidate this inventory. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm, I'm you know, I know that was a, a tough decision and having used your service, uh, it was a really great option. So it's, uh, it's a bummer. Yeah, I appreciate that. And especially really, it was um, I emailed my local customers and they're the ones especially, too, that are just, you know, feeling the pain because uh, here in in the Northwest, you know, you either have to live in a big city like Seattle or Portland to have a rental outlet, or you're going to pay and wait for, you know, some shipping to come from the central part of the, the country, or maybe down in California where the main competitors are. But, uh, but so they, they really liked it. Uh, you know, it always comes down to things, you know, what you're looking for out, out of the business, uh, what you need out of the business, um, needed to hit some sales targets and I was unable to do that. 
and I kept reattacking with different ideas and different things. And um, after four years, I decided it's pretty much time to um, to move along because this isn't a hobby. You know, this isn't something that I do just purely because I love it. You know, I did love it. It was always a great opportunity to talk to new photographers and to help them along their journey of creating better photos. Uh, so, you know, as I kind of do a little bit of search and whatnot it, there, I tried to include, uh, soul searching, I guess I should say, I tried to do what I could to include, uh, as much education with this company as well to help people along. And lots of people certainly needed that. Some didn't, and that's all great too. Uh, so yeah, as I shift to these courses that I'm going to be producing, you know, I'm just focusing more on the educational aspect of what I do and, um, yeah, hopefully by the end of July or August, uh, all these pieces can be sold. So head on over to BrentWrenchLenses.com and uh, take a look and see if there's anything you wish to buy. Certainly send me an email if you have any questions. I'll do my best to answer those questions. I do have the original boxes, so they will come with the original contents of the boxes. Some of those I did get rebates on, and so they will be missing the UPC code, but otherwise they are the full box otherwise. So... Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate everyone's uh, business, you know, the support I've had from the listeners and uh, those that don't listen to the podcast that have certainly used my service. Certainly appreciate it. And it just definitely was a tough decision, but it's been something that's been in the making for a little while. And and it's time to, to make it happen now that it's summer. I can actually focus on this. Well, for, for those who are, I'm sure many customers who are going to be bummed to hear this, you have any uh, recommendations or endorsements for alternative sure. services for them? Yes, I have used, before I started my own company, I have used Lens Rentals. They're out of Tennessee. Uh, about six months ago or so now, they joined with, uh, I think it's Lens Pro to Go. They're, they were out of Boston area. And so they're certainly, they have a good business. They're, they're doing things right, as far as I can tell. Uh, they're still doing things really well. Uh, there's Borrow Lenses as well. Uh, they, they're a pretty big company as, uh, also. And then there's a few other smaller ones. There's like, um, uh, I can't think of some of the names now, but Lens Rentals also merged or bought out ATS Rentals. And then there's a few, uh, Lens Giant, I think is one. And then there's one in Philadelphia, I think it's called Lens Lens, which is L-E-N-D-S for that last one, for the last word, Lens, L-E-N-S, L-E-N-D-S. But the ones that I have experience with is just um, LensRentals.com. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well... It's, you know, transitioning and moving forward and, uh, you know, you got to, you got to focus on, uh, the right opportunities and uh, excited yeah. to see what you do, especially with this printing course. I mean, the, the, I'm sure both courses would be great, but personally, I think the printing course is really interesting because that's just very underserved and a lot of people have questions about how to approach it. So that's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. The reason actually I'm doing the printing course is if I can tell a little secret, um, I actually have a student at the university that uh, because we shifted our sequencing of courses, we messed up his uh, track for graduation. And so I need to give him an online course. And so I was like, well, why don't I produce this as a regular course that uh, I'm going to offer to everybody and I'm going to base it off of that experience I'm actually doing for him. So I'm actually doing kind of double work, but um, it's not really because of the same style of content. It's just different delivery. So, uh, that I'll be able to do for him. So that's what prompted the whole idea for doing it. And then I had another interest, a couple of interests really of people saying, you know, they want some kind of a photo mentor. They want some kind of a, 
training to take them to out of that beginning level to a, a more intermediate level. And that's where this other course came to be. And I was like, can I really do two courses in the summer? And I'm convincing myself that I can. And then I decided to go to Hong Kong and I was like, perfect, I'll do the recording there in Hong Kong. So uh, so that's how that all came together. So it, it actually that part came together pretty quickly these last couple of weeks only, if, if not just a week and a half or so. So, um, yeah, excited to do that. I have a very busy summer ahead and totally looking forward to it. Let's move on to our doodads of the week. Greg, you've got a pretty cool device there. What what are what is your doodad? Yeah, so I just grabbed this about a week ago, maybe two weeks ago. This is the uh, Wacom tablet that I, this is maybe the fourth or fifth one that I've ever owned. I've been using Wacom tablets for years. And for folks who aren't familiar with this, it's basically you get this device with a pen. So instead of using a mouse, you would you know draw with this pen. And when you're doing things like exposure blending, where you're painting on a mask to build it up, this is so much easier and precise than a mouse. And if you're doing it for hours, it's going to save you from like hand cramps and everything else. And, and the basic idea is you're getting the finesse of your fingers to move the tool instead of using a mouse where it's like moving your elbow and your shoulders, very imprecise. Yeah. So these Wacom tablets are awesome. I've loved them for years and that's nothing really new, but this particular model that's available with Bluetooth connectivity, so no wires and um, it's small, is perfect for traveling. So if you're someone like me, who's got a laptop, you're bouncing around coffee shops or traveling, or when you're, you know, off to Hong Kong or whatever, being able to bring a very small, lightweight, uh, you know, Wacom tablet is awesome to be able to process on the road because otherwise, you know, if I, I could bring a mouse, but a trackpad is a nightmare for trying to make masks oh, yeah. and, and paint on masks. It's just, it's oh, yeah. pretty much impossible. So I, I used to bring a mouse or I used to haul around the larger, uh, medium sized tablet with uh -huh. a wire. And this is, it's so nice. I mean, I charged it up once when I got it. It's still at 75% battery capacity. So I don't know how long it's going to last, but the battery uh, seems to be really strong. You don't have to charge it too often. So uh, I've been I've been thrilled with it. So I, I love this thing. And I don't remember what it costs. It's probably $99 or something like that. Oh, but for anyone who's doing, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if for anyone who's doing like serious blending or working on masks in Photoshop, I mean, this is great for dodging and burning, for exposure blending, for cloning. Anything where you're trying to be precise, I, I think this is just a, a no no brainer to get something like this. And this is cool. to me the best one for traveling photographers. No doubt. I think uh, my money has already been spent, at least in my mind, because <laughs> I've got one of them that is the medium size that is the wireless and it's great. But that size and the extra weight that you're talking about, I, I could do totally benefit from a smaller form factor. Uh, and it would just slip into the uh, tablet pocket that's in my bag instead of, you know, nothing going in there. It would fit perfectly in there. So uh, I think I will be getting one of those here very shortly. That sounds really cool. It is. Uh, and, and, and just to clarify, for anyone who's used the older wireless Wacoms, they used to have this one where you plugged a little dongle into the USB. Like, it's not that. It's true Bluetooth. Yeah. And yeah. it just it's as easy as like plugging in your, you know, your headset for your phone. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what mine is too. It's it's a true Bluetooth, and it uh, surprisingly is actually, and I'm sure this one's even better. But there's zero latency between your stroke with a pen and its action in Photoshop. Uh, on mine, though, since it is a little bit of an older model, when the battery would die, it would start to kind of skip around, and that's that's when you know it's time to plug it in to charge that that battery. But 
Yeah. I also have, uh, for use for my students, I've got their Cintiq uh, 13 uh, HD, and that is where it's an actual screen, and you've, then you've got the pen going on the screen itself. And those are really cool as well. So Wacom has some pretty good, pretty good products for sure. My doodad is an item called Plug Bug World. It's a device that hooks onto my MacBook Pro charging uh, brick, whatever you want to call it. It then has a, a separate area where you can plug in all the different plugs from around the world. So it's, you can swap them out. But also the benefit of this, it adds its own USB port to it. So I can then plug in my phone. I can plug in whatever USB item I have. So it's not just the plug adapter. It's also got a USB uh, item all in one deal. So I don't have to take two chargers with me. Uh, technically, I'm still taking two chargers, but these connect together uh, to the uh, the MacBook Pro charger. And then I also can charge my my notebook and my USB device at the same time. Uh, without having to plug that USB device into the computer, or of course it'll just charge only the USB device, whatever. So it's a nice little unit and uh, comes with six different plugs or five different plugs, whatever it is, to cover the world and all the different uh, plug styles that we have. Nice. Any, anything to simplify. I feel like my bag is half like cables, dongles, and adapters now. Oh, I know. <laughs> yes, it's terrible. I just bought another little camera to take with me so, uh, for doing some of these videos, and I was just like, uh, it's not going to be a compatible battery. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, well, you know, just another charger. But at least the charger, most Canon chargers don't these days don't have the extra cord. It just plugs directly into the wall, and I appreciate that. So not having to fight with extra cord. All right, it's just some reminders. This is the Master Photography Podcast, and the new home for the show is masterphotographypodcast.com. And so go check that out for show notes and the links that we're talking about here. And you, we also have a Facebook group. We invite you to join the Facebook group if you're not already. We've got over 7,000 members. I think we're approaching 8,000 members here shortly on the Facebook group. We encourage you to join the Facebook group if you wanted to join the discussion there online. Just find us at Master Photography Podcast. And you can find my work. I'm available at my website, brentbergherm.com. Uh, that's going to be going through quite a bit of rework here this summer as I'm working on these courses. I'm going to revamp my website accordingly. Find me at uh, Facebook. Just search my name, Brent Bergham Photo. And then Instagram at Brent Bergherm. Greg, where can they find you? Uh, GregBensPhotography.com. And anything else like the Instagram or anything like that? Um, yeah, it's, you know, <laughs> having like picked them up over the years, they all have like slightly different variations of my name or photography. So the okay. easiest thing is just head to the website and everything's okay. linked there. Yeah. Very good. And don't forget the other podcasts, a part of this group. We've got portrait session. You can go to portrait session podcast.com. That's uh, Erica and Connor heading that up. We got photo taco with Jeff heading that up. So photo taco podcast.com. Latitude, that's mine, and uh, latitudephotographypodcast.com. And then Brian McGuckin, he'll be bringing back thoughts on photography later this summer. And it's never too early, I think, anyway, to be thinking about the Create Photography Retreat. That's happening in Las Vegas this next year in March. Check that out at createphotographyretreat.com. And I think that's about it. Greg, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Appreciate it, friend. You betcha. And listeners, thank you so much for listening and uh, subscribing. And until next time, happy shooting. Happy shooting.